broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Regarding Trent, you know, the jury's still out here. I, You know, he's under contract. And again, we believe in the talent of that player. And uh, there'd be nothing finer than... You know, have Trent Brown at right tackle protecting Derek Carr next year, week one. Uh, but the jury's out, and we still have to make some decisions on our roster in general. Hmm. Are you into reading between the lines? Are you into messaging? Are you into uh, getting uh, your, your, your point across using various platforms and uh, – uh, means and ways in order to get a message across. Do you think that's what Mike Mayock was doing uh, yesterday, the Raiders general manager, when he spoke to the media um, for the first time really since, uh, officially anyway, uh, since the end of last season, uh, and he was talking about Trent Brown, uh, the Raiders' right tackle, who played all of five games last year, really only four, uh, the fifth game he you know, the season opener played eight plays, I think it was. Uh, so it was really just four full games last year. Um, and is under contract for next year and the year after uh, with the Raiders, out of which is guaranteed. And the Raiders have a big decision to make in terms of do you keep them and take the risk that it's going to be the same situation as it was last year where you didn't know from week to week if you were the Raiders, if your big right tackle was going to be out there. Um, do you take that risk or do you walk away from them, collect that $14 million uh, that you could apply toward the salary cap, which I have a little bit of news on the Raiders salary cap, by the way, um, or do you gently, um, persuasively nudge, keep letting Trent Brown know that, hey, we got our eye on you. Yeah, we see the videos. I think everybody's probably, Raider Nation, if you haven't, um, you know, go look at Trent Brown's Twitter and uh, Instagram and just just uh, call up Trent Brown. And you're going to see some videos of Trent Brown working out, getting in shape, doing the right thing, uh, being diligent uh, about his offseason program. And he looks like he's in really good shape right now. And I think the Raiders see that. They understand that. They love that. Uh, because he could solve a whole bunch of problems if he's right and he's lining up game after game after game at right tackle, protecting Derek Carr and opening up holes for Josh Jacobs, if he's right, if he's healthy, if he's in shape. And that's what the Raiders obviously want and need. And so maybe they're telling Trent Brown in various ways, including through the media yesterday, hey, uh, we do have our eye on you. You look great. You know that we want you here, uh, and we want you here in shape and healthy. Uh, and so we see what you're doing, and we respect it, and we like it. But you know what? We haven't quite come to a decision yet. So just keep working hard. Keep the pedal to the metal. We're, 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 we're watching. We're seeing. We're liking. But we haven't quite made a decision yet on whether or not we're bringing you back. So um, advice, keep on working. I don't know. I'm just thinking that... Uh, the Raiders understand how important Trent Brown is. He solves a whole bunch of issues now, especially with Gabe Jackson looking to be on the way out uh, in terms of 
being a cap casualty. Uh, the Raiders haven't officially released the veteran right uh, guard who plays alongside Trent Brown, but uh, by all indications, he's gone. Uh, and that leaves a major void at right guard. Do you want to compound that issue by also having a major hole at right tackle? That would be a lot to uh, try to deal with an entire right side of an offensive line going into a year where you have aspirations of making the playoffs. You have an offense in the Raiders that's a top 10 offense last year uh, with a top 10 caliber quarterback in Derek Carr. Weapons all over the field. Uh, Do you want to chance it by having this big, massive hole on one side of the offensive line? Or uh, do you keep urging and motivating Trent Brown in these next few weeks uh, to, to stay on target, to stay on track, to get himself in shape and put himself in the best possible position to be the asset they always hoped he would be when they signed with that four-year, $66 million contract a couple of years ago and have gotten exactly 16 games over the first two years. That's not acceptable. Uh, but he can still make amends for that. He can still be the asset that they hoped he would be if he could get himself in shape, stay in shape, stay healthy, and be on the field consistently next year. If he is and he's playing at a high level, which there's every reason to expect he would, that makes the Raiders' offense that much better and creates that much more certainty. I have a feeling that Mike Mayock and John Gruden completely understand that. And if I were to bet on it today, I think Trent Brown would be back. Uh, but I think that they're keeping that fire lit uh, to make sure that he know, he knows that he's got to remain diligent this offseason because such a huge part of this offense and this operation. Welcome to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Thursday, a beautiful Thursday uh, at that, about 71 degrees here in Las Vegas. Uh, Barely a cloud in the sky, just one of those beautiful, gorgeous uh, spring days here in the desert. Uh, you're in the huddle with Vinnie Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. As usual, just a reminder, uh, Lincoln is tending to the family uh, this time of year and uh, out in Arizona. Uh, we wish him all the best. Can't wait to get him back. Uh, but for now, uh, I'm riding solo uh, in the huddle. Vinny Monsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We want your calls, 702-365-9200. Want your thoughts on the draft that's coming up, free agency that's coming up, Uh, what your thoughts are on Trent Brown. Are you comfortable bringing big Trent Brown back, knowing what happened these last couple of years? But are you maybe leaning toward, hey, look, bad things happen sometimes. Sometimes bad luck happens. Uh, Did he come in in the best shape last year, uh, you know, to, to training camp? Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, was Or maybe he was just dealing with that calf issue throughout the offseason and wasn't able to quite get it right. And maybe that curtailed everything and set the stage for the kind of season that he had last year when he was only able to play four games. We also know that COVID-19 reared its ugly head with him. There was uh, something that happened in Cleveland. Uh, which kept him out of that game and a few others, um, you know, immediately after that. So it it could be just it was one of those crazy years for the guy. And the Raiders fully expect as long as he stays diligent and remains on target and does the right thing this offseason, and i.e. the right thing being staying in shape, getting in in shape, 
remaining in shape, doing everything possible to be the best version of himself next year. Uh, and if that is the case, and if the Raiders believe that to be the case, then there's no reason you don't bring Trent Brown back. I know it's $14 million. I know they need to get under the salary cap. Although, as we sit here today, thanks to some carryover money uh, that arrived at the Raiders' doorstep from last year's salary cap, it's it's kind of difficult to to explain the whole thing, kind of confusing in a little bit way. But just understand this. As of right now, um, and counting the Gabe Jackson release uh, into the equation and the Terrell Williams uh, release into the equation. As of right now, based on the commitments that the Raiders have for 2021 on their contracts, uh, as of right now, today, if the salary cap comes in at $180 million, that's the floor. I expect it to be a little bit higher uh, at some point before it's all said and done, you know, by the time they announce it here in a couple of weeks. Uh, I expect it to be a little bit more, but let's just say, for argument's sake, the salary cap is $180 million right at that floor. If that were the case, based on what the Raiders have on the books for 2021, uh, as of right now, they're over $7 million um, over the um, under the salary cap, I should say. So that is a uh, good development, a nice development. Um, it's, 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 it's $7 million that they would have under the cap. That's assuming, or that's without, you know, uh, making any other moves, which they are going to make some 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 other moves. Um, so just to uh, reiterate, if the salary cap were set at was set at $180 million, as of right now, based on what the Raiders have um, for, uh, for, you know, their commitments, their 2021 commitments, uh, they're, they're about $7 million, uh, and it's definitely seven or a little bit above, under the salary cap. That doesn't take into account what might happen to Mar- Marcus Mariota. If if they release him or if they trade him, you could might just add another $11.7 million or, or about $11 million uh, to that figure. So that would make it $18 million. Um, we'll see what happens with Trent Brown. We'll see what happens with LaMarcus Joyner. If the Raiders release LaMarcus Joyner, uh, you could add another $18 millions to that. So now you're looking at $26 million. So you can see that it adds up fairly quickly. But today was a good uh, a day for the Raiders because that carryover money from last year uh, creates a little bit of wiggle room for them uh, heading into a season where uh, the salary cap is going to be reduced for the first time uh, in decades. But as we creep closer to the beginning of the new um, calendar year uh, you know, and find out, okay, what is a salary cap? going to be exactly, and the Raiders will have a better idea what they really need to do uh, in terms to get, in terms of getting under it uh, or as far under it as they feel comfortable in terms of being able to get done what they feel like they need to get done um, in this uh, upcoming offseason, whether it's free agency or the draft, and specifically free agency because that comes first. And I think free agency is going to set the tone for what they do uh, in the draft. And like we keep reiterating, though, big decision coming on Trent Brown. I think, you know, just doing some poking around today, um, it still can go either way. Uh, there's there's time left for, for that decision to, to sway one direction or another. Also, a team uh, can jump up and and make uh, the Raiders an offer they couldn't refuse and, and just trade for him and feel like, okay, um, make the trade, get another draft pick, uh, be able to apply that uh, toward filling that hole, maybe 
uh, and as we mentioned yesterday, there's going to be a lot of Trent Brown caliber players, or not maybe ca- uh, Trent Brown caliber players, but there's going to be a lot of veteran players that are kind of in the same shoes that Trent Brown is in that may end up and that will end up on the open market here in these next couple of weeks because that salary cap uh, is going down and teams need to figure out a way to get under it and create space to be able to get to work this offseason. You're going to see a lot of veteran players who maybe the guaranteed portion of their contracts have run out and they're on the books for a little bit too much next year. Um, bringing up Gabe Jackson, you know, he's a $9.7 million player for the Raiders next year. Um, but it's not guaranteed. They suffered no penalty for, um, you know, uh, for releasing him. No, there's no carryover. There's no effect on the, on the salary cap except for positive. Uh, there's players like that around the league right now that uh, teams are sitting there talking about and saying we don't want to cut a player that good. We don't want to go into a season without that player. But at the same time, we need to create some salary cap space, and that's an easy place to go to do just that. So keep your eye out on the waiver wire – or excuse me, the releases that are coming up. And, and understand this too – uh, when you have enough years invested in the NFL as a veteran player, um, if you get released, it's not one of those situations at this point in the year uh, where you have to go through waivers or anything like that. You become a complete free agent. That's what happened with J.J. Watt. That's why, and that's why he was also able to, um, you know, he didn't have to worry about waiting until the new league year started or anything like that, or waivers, he was a, he was free because he has enough years in the NFL. That's why somebody like Terrell Williams uh, uh, reportedly making a deal with the Detroit Lions. Uh, Gabe Jackson, I don't expect, would be out on the market uh, very long before somebody comes in and swoops him. But the point being, there's going to be a bunch of players like that in addition to the free agents that we know uh, have a good chance of hitting the open market here in a couple of weeks. So there's going to be a lot of interesting choices for a lot of different teams. And I know the Raiders are kind of weighing, you know, do you do you make the big splash free agent signing uh, on day one and, and shore up a, a hole? Or do you hold off a little bit, uh, knowing that there's a lot of players this year that are going to be on the market? Uh, if you if you patiently play that market, maybe you can uh, come out of free agency with you know a handful of players that are going to be able to help you, but not having to spend um, you know big time money on one one p- particular player. Uh, I could see it going both ways, but if I was in charge, if I was Mike Mayock and I was John Gruden, um, I, at the very least, at the very least, I want to get. One big-time free agent, defensive free agent, uh, out of free agency. Um, whether it's I, my my gut feeling, uh, or or where I would go would be free agent uh, or, or free safety. Uh, there's too many good players uh, on the on the that are about ready to hit free agency at that position, and too big of a need for the Raiders at free safety to let that go. If you have a chance to get much better at free safety this year. And again, that's a position to me that affects multiple positions. You bring in a really good veteran free safety, all of a sudden John Jonathan Abram uh, is free to be a better player and a, a, a kind of a better version of himself or, or a player that Gus Bradley, the new defensive coordinator, can use accordingly in a way that fits what Jonathan Abram does because he knows he has a veteran alongside him that can 
take care of the things that maybe Jonathan doesn't do as well. It also inevitably helps the young cornerbacks uh, when you're talking about you know Damon Arnett and Trayvon Mullen, uh, guys that have talent but are very, very young and inexperienced. Obviously, Trayvon Mullen is a year ahead uh, in that in that um, learning cycle than Damon Arnett. He's a year older, has been in the league going into now his third year. Uh, I expect big things from Damon, from uh, Trayvon Mullen, and I expect uh, Damon Arnett to take a big step forward as well. The question is. How big of a step is he going to take? But also, how big of a role can having a great free safety like um, John Johnson or one of those safeties that we've been mentioned, Marcus Williams for the New Orleans Saints, uh, perhaps Justin Simmons from the Denver Broncos, how much of an effect can a player like that have on the whole operation uh, in, the, in the defensive backfield? And I contend a lot. Uh, obviously, it's all in conjunction with what's happening up front. Um, your four linemen getting pressure on the quarterback. You have to have that element as well. Um, but if, if you could figure out a way to manufacture and go get players uh, to add to the mix that you already have here with the Raiders that are going to be able to get after the quarterback as a front four, uh, then and you also address that free safety position in a way that helps everybody back there, all of a sudden – you know, this defense has a chance to take a big step forward, and we all know how important and critical that is <laughs> because the offense scored enough points to make the playoffs on a game-to-game basis. Was it always perfect? No. Name me one team where it's always perfect. Did they lay an egg in Atlanta? The whole team laid an egg in Atlanta. It was the one game last year that the Raiders just did not come correct for whatever reason. Um, you know, looking back on it now, uh, I just remember that it was, you know, it was in the middle of the of, of the holidays. It was it was the the game after Thanksgiving. Weird things happen. You know, you have family that come into town. You have obligations. The practice week gets altered a little bit. Uh, not making any excuses, but sometimes that plays into it. Hey, I used to cover the Lakers, and I can remember many Christmas Day games where you could just sense how players were kind of struggling to get into the locker room after probably opening up presents with the kids and the family members and doing all the holiday stuff. And now you got to get up and go play an important game on national TV. And there were games where the Lakers just did not look very well and look very good or just kind of slept walk through it. And uh, it happens. So uh, it happens in all sports. It's going to happen in football. That was the one bad performance I thought that the Raiders had. Other than that, they were competitive and especially offensively defensively. A little bit different. Get that defense scored away, and uh, things are going to look a lot different here in Las Vegas. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Mark in the Bay Area wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Mark? Doing well, doing well, Vinny. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I think you've laid out a really good blueprint. Uh, my feelings with Trent Brown, I think that, you know, for $14 million a year and, you know, the, the injury history, I think it's too big of a risk, too big of a gamble. Um, you know, I just think that, I mean, if he was going to restructure, maybe, but I, I don't really see that happening. Um, you know, he's put out some cryptic, uh, tweets or not tweets, but on his Instagram, you know, the name on the back and other stuff out there. I don't know. I, you know, maybe that means nothing, but it just, I don't know. For me, again, the, I, I think the biggest thing is the injury history. I don't think you can go into it. I mean, I, I think that the the best thing for them is hopefully if we can re-sign Denzel Good to play right guard 
Um, you know, and I'm thinking if we do okay in free agency and we, um, like you mentioned, Marcus Williams, uh, Johnson from the Rams, there's so many good free safeties out there. You know, and uh, David Irving, I think, is a sneaky signing at defensive tackle, bringing him back. I didn't th- know they were going to bring him back. Um, so, anyways, I, I think that, you know, uh, defensively, like you said, if we could just get one or two, you know, really legit starters, I think we'll be looking much, much better, especially in the new system, Littleton coming back and being able to thrive in a new system. But getting back to Trent Brown, I thought I saw a report yesterday that they're trying to trade him. So to me, that just tells me that, you know, I highly doubt he's going to be back. Did you see those reports that they were trying to trade him yesterday? Yeah, and, um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily classify it as they're trying to trade him. I think teams are interested in trading for him, um, and those are two okay. important distinctions to make. And then it becomes, um, you know, th- then the question for the Raiders becomes, a, where where are we uh, with Trent Brown in terms of belief and conviction and confidence that he's going to be good to go next year, right? You're going to ask yourself that question. To me, that's the key question of all. Uh, he's under contract for $14 million. It becomes guaranteed the first weekend of the season, fully guaranteed the first week of the season. Um, are, are, if you're the Raiders, are you comfortable at $14 million that last year was, you know, just one of those crazy years and then he's going to be good to go and he's going to be out there, you know, 16 games uh, this year. Uh, if you believe that, number one, you might as well just bring him back. But number two, um, is there a price point that would then take you off of that position that would make you change your mind? Like, okay, well, a third-round pick, a fourth-round pick, uh, you know, uh, potentially. I, I don't – I don't necessarily see somebody doing that, making that trade, um, but you never know. You, you just never know. There are teams that need uh, offensive line. It's not a great year in free agency for the offensive line, uh, so that can definitely uh, help create a trade market for him. But, you know, teams see the same thing that the Raiders went through last year with Trent Brown. They saw that he played four games and that he was – Probably out of shape, you know, when he when he when he got here. Look, we didn't see Trent Brown until the first day of training camp, and by we I mean reporters. And for that matter, I don't think neither did his coaches or, or anyone else. Remember, the building was closed last year. Uh, at you know, at this time, all the way through training camp, they had to work their tails off in the NFL just to get buildings to a point where they can be functional, that, that they could be open, that they could be serviceable for players in a way that kept everybody protected. That took a long time for that to happen. It didn't happen until training camp. So imagine not having your eyes on players until the first day of training camp. You don't know in what shape these guys are are, are coming to you in. Uh, obviously, you're keeping in touch. Um, you're, 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 you're trying to assess how are you doing, how are you feeling, where are you, what's, how much do you weigh, all of that. But you're also just relying on their, on their feedback uh, at that point because you can't physically see them. So I don't know if Trent Brown showed, it, showed up out of, out of shape last year. I don't know if the calf injury – uh, was something that had lingered throughout from the off season into the into training camp, or something that happened during training camp. I don't know. It's, it almost sounded like it was a carryover for something uh, that that he had the day that training camp opened. I just remember, um, uh, you know, things were at, at least 
uh, for, for, from my perspective, that first day we were able as reporters to get a look at, at the players because he wasn't out there that first day. And then he wasn't out there the second day and the third day. And it was like, okay, what's going on with Trent Brown? Oh, he'll be fine. Um, but again, don't know if it happened during training camp in that ramp up period when they were just doing their conditioning. Uh, just, just don't know. However, this year should be different. Uh, I think you have uh, a better idea of where players are physically right now. Um, chances are, if they do keep them, there's going to be some semblance of an offseason where you can get players into the building. I know players are here already uh, working out at least a couple days a week uh, or as much as they're allowed to uh, that during this time of year. So at the very least, you're seeing guys now. Uh, as coaches, you're not working with them necessarily, but you're passing them in the hallway, I'm sure. Uh, you're just go, you know, happen to coincidentally walk by the weight room uh, to see him. I'm sure that's all going on. So you have a little bit of a better idea maybe of where Trent Brown is physically at this time of year. You didn't last year. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bunch here on Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Keep the calls coming. We will talk to you on the other side. We're back in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Raider great Lincoln Kennedy. This is Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. I said earlier in the show, if I were to rank all 32 teams in order of who needs to make the playoffs the most this year, I'd have the Cardinals at two, I'd have the Las Vegas Raiders at one. One. You have this $100 million head coach, yeah. this franchise quarterback. Not new only stadium. have you missed it, new stadium, new town. Not only have you missed it the last couple of years, like you've blown it. You've fallen apart. Yeah. And I'm trying my best to describe the Derek Carr experience because what a great guy. You root for him. It's the kind of guy you want in the NFL. The Derek Carr carousel, it feels like when you're on a Sunday on the couch and maybe you're just like a tad hungover and really lethargic. And you, watching Derek Carr year after year is like watching a, a TNT movie with commercials. Like you're watching like <laughs> National Treasure. And you've seen it a hundred times, but like you're on the couch and like it's entertaining you and you don't want to get up. And then eventually you're like, enough, I'm changing the channel. You start channel surfing and, channel, and you can't find anything. And then it comes back from you commercial back and you're like, oh, screw it, I'll stick with National Treasure. That's the off-season every year for Red. It's pretty good. Yeah. I'm entertained. I'm not having my hair blown back like the guy in the Maxell capes. Like, this is the greatest thing ever. But, like, it's getting me through my Sunday. Yeah. And I'll just keep riding with this because it's cool and it's nice and it says the right things. And it kind of puts us in a position <laughs> to compete before eventually blowing it. I was following that too with Kyle Brandt uh, of the NFL Network talking about um, <laughs> watching the Raiders like laying on the couch after uh, a, a good night of drinking. You don't really want to get up. You don't even want to reach for the uh, channel changer. You're kind of entertained, uh, but it's on uh, you know uh, on, on network television where there's commercials. There's a bunch of movies that are that are in that uh, category for me, but I get it and I understand what he's saying, and I do think it's important for the Raiders to make the playoffs this year. No question about it. Are they? Do they have to make the playoffs? I mean, you know, we always talk in these absolutes. Uh, what what's going to happen if they don't? You know, uh, obviously uh, it's an important year. No question about it uh, for the Raiders. Um, and I know that Derek gets kind of dragged into this all the time uh, because he is the face of the franchise. He is uh, the quarterback, and the quarterback's always going to get um, you know the, the, the bulk of the blame, the bulk of the praise. Uh, all of that usually falls on the shoulders of or the doorstep of the quarterback. We get it. We understand it. Um, but, you know, the Raiders making the playoffs is predicated on two things. Derek Carr on the offense functioning pretty much – if they, if they function exactly like they did last year, 
and the defense improves, you know, gets into that, uh, you know, 20 point, 21 points per game uh, level, like if they could get to that, if they can, if the defense can, can hold teams to 20, 19 points per game and the Raiders offense plays, I'm saying exactly the same. You don't change one thing. I mean, obviously you want to improve and all that, but I'm just saying for argument's sake, if the Raiders offense plays exactly the same as they did last year and you get a defense uh, that, that can hold teams to 20, 19, 20 points per game, you're in the playoffs. That's, that's the bottom line. The bottom line. The Raiders offense can do exactly the same as they did last year. Again, to reiterate, I'm not saying that that's what you, know, you should hope for. You should hope for even better, obviously. But if they just did exactly what they did last year offensively at Derek Carr, even with the fumbles, even with the fumbles, uh, if he if he just plays exactly like he played last year and has the numbers that he had last year and this offense have the, finishes with the production and the numbers that they did last year, if the defense gets better <laughs> to the point of giving up 20, 21 points per game consistently, like by on average – then the Raiders are in the playoffs. The key to me is um, is that defense getting better. But obviously, Derek Carr being the quarterback is always going to be part of that discussion because that's the way it works uh, for quarterbacks. Uh, now here's Stephen A. Smith from ESPN also chiming in, in on the Raiders and also chiming in on Derek Carr. That's why I'm comfortable with saying stick with Derek Carr. Derek Carr over the last three years, uh, we must have forgot. Deuce has thrown for over 4,000 yards the last three years. He's completed 69, 70, and 67% of his passes in that span. The year before, he only threw eight interceptions. This year, he only threw nine interceptions by incre- but increased his touchdown percentage by six. He went from 21 touchdown passes to 27 touchdown passes. I think he's going in the right direction, which is why I don't blame them for having the kind of attitude or Mike Mayock speaking about him the way that he did. Derek Carr has stepped up and he's shown that he's no scrub. That is Stephen A. Smith. And I don't know what the explosion was all about, but uh, I guess he said something explosive uh, about Derek Carr, but nothing really, um, you know, that uh, too shocking. Uh, I think that if you're looking at the quarterback position, honestly, if you just took Derek Carr out of a Raiders uniform and put him anywhere else or just, just you know, took the name out of the equation and the team out of the equation and just listed the statistics, there's no question if you, look, if you looked at those statistics last year, uh, you're, you're, good, and you're, you're good with those numbers as a fan base. You're good. If, you're, if you were to you know, say to any fan base, hey, would you accept these numbers from your quarterback – you would get a resounding yes. Are there better quarterbacks? Of course. Uh, there's there's always somebody better at any given point in time. Now, I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback there is, so I don't think you can get better from him right now, but there will be a year or two, maybe three, four down the road where you can honestly say, yeah, there, I, I, I trade Patrick Mahomes for this guy or that guy. That's just the way sports works and life works, but right now he's the best. Uh, if you were to say where Derek Carr is, I'd say he's right there, top 10, top 9 quarterbacks in the NFL. I say that honestly and confidently. Uh, So if you're going to improve on him, it better be somebody that's better than he is. And those guys don't grow on trees. And the ones that uh, are better than him, chances are they're not going to be available anyway. So uh, you can put that thought out of your head. So unless you want to just go ahead and take a chance on somebody else uh, that you think or hope would be better or 
that you want to trade him and take some draft picks and go get a future quarterback, that you, yeah, that's that's your right. You could do that if you want, but there's no guarantee that you're ever going to approach the level of play that Derek Carr has provided because that's hard to do. I think that's the one thing that Raider fans are taking for granted, and it's hard for me to believe that they are given the slop that was at quarterback for years, for years. Before Derek Carr got here, do you not remember how bad the quarterback he was prior to Derek Carr getting here? You have to remember how bad it really was. And now you have a quarterback that you can rely on, that's dependable, that's good, that's accurate, that for the most part takes care of the ball. Yes, he has to work on the fumbles. That's a combination of issues, I think, between himself and the offensive line. Um, So that needs to get squared away a little bit. Uh, does he need to get better uh, in the in the red zone? Yes, I also think it would help if he some of those uh, weapons emerged as legit red zone weapons. I think Brian Edwards was drafted to be a player uh, of that. You know, uh, somebody to bring that kind of a skill set. I think that he's on his way, and if he is uh, takes a step forward this year, especially in that red zone, that changes the dynamic in the red zone. All of a sudden, Derek Carr becomes a better quarterback in the red zone because he has more weapons, reliable weapons to throw to in the in the red zone. Uh, I think the running game getting better uh, at that part in that uh, area of the field helps your quarterback get get better in that area of the field. So there's a combination of things there uh, as well. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line, uh, Raider Dave in. Denver, right? Is that who, who's online? Yeah, that's it. You got it. All right, brother. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, it was a great analogy that you played uh, somebody watching an old movie. <laughs> you know, to me, when I, what I was thinking of when you played that was, it's a movie that I love because I love the soundtrack. And I could watch it no matter if I knew the plot or not. I just love the soundtrack. Where Eagles Dare, Live and Die in L.A., whatever. Put whatever one you want in there. But in any case... Um, with the the movements that are going on with the offensive line, Denzel Good played really well last year. Yes, he did. I don't think we saw a lot of Simpson, but if Brown stays and Good becomes the guard and Simpson backs up or Parker backs up Brown, I think this could be just a monumental great shift as far as getting a solid line that can play together all year. You got to wonder about Incognito's uh, durability coming off that injury, but at least they got to it before it really snapped or had any really really bad Achilles problem. Um, but I think this line, whether it's with uh, whether it's with Brown or not, certainly it'll be different without him, and maybe they can't do as much. But man, if he does stay, to me, I think fourteen mil is worth it for the best tackle in football. Yeah, and uh, I agree. Uh, and but the the caveat is is the best tackle, right tackle in football, going to be out there sixteen games out of the year? I mean, I say sixteen. You know, that's the that's the hope, but it can't be four. It can't be five. It can't be ten. It can't be. Tw- it has to be close to sixteen, and for sure. Uh, you know, when you, if if you if you're talking about the playoffs into the playoffs, but if he is right, then yeah, absolutely. Uh, you need to bring him back. And you talk about Denzel Good, you know, maybe he becomes uh, the right uh, uh, guard alongside him. And then, you know, as far as that left guard position, if Richie Incognito, I like the fact that he's that he's already shown or, or, or talking about being a little bit ahead of schedule, being out there working, that says that he really wants to be back. 
and I think that the Raiders missed him. Uh, the Richie Incognito brings a nasty streak that is very uh, noticeable. And Maybe it's talk mindset. Right, exactly. I mean, I think the, mind, the mindset last year was we really hope we can make the playoffs. This team knows they can make the playoffs now. I mean, the, the, the three week collapse that happened, you know, that, you know, because of the defense or whatever, those last second losses, obviously that kept them out. The year before, they had the slide out of bounds that, you know, against Houston, which ended up, you know, dousing them before they ever really got a chance to play for anything at Denver. So for two years going, those that look through some rose-colored glasses like me, I know the capability of this team, and they should have been in the playoffs those two years. I know and I realize they didn't, and I'm not balking reality here. But the thing is, when they go into this offseason, they know they're a playoff team. They know how close they got to beating Kansas City twice, and they know the division is within their grasp. Yeah, and and I, you know, and I think, um, and I've tried to explain this, and and you know, maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, but I think the eight and eight last year was decided. I know it was only one game difference, but I, it to me it was decidedly different than the seven and nine the year before. You know, I've I've explained this before. I came aboard covering the Raiders uh, for the Review Journal in November. Uh, I think it was November eighteenth or somewhere around there. Uh, it was the week after the bank. It was actually the first game was the Jet game. All right, so uh, which what a forgettable game that was. Okay, but right. from that point forward, pretty much every game that I can remember uh, that I haven't just tried to instantly forget because it was so bad. But but pretty much every game was uh, a you know what whooping. Um, it right. wasn't. I think I think the collapse in both years they overcame more in 2020 than they did overcome to get seven and nine the year before. Well, and not only that, but the games were competitive. Besides the Falcons game, which was just, you know, in a 16-game schedule, you're almost bound to get a bad performance. You're just right, going like to. Washington the year before. Right. You know, you just, okay. But but the year before, there were a lot of bad. The Jet game was a bad game. The Denver game was a bad game. The Chiefs game was a bad game. Uh, the, the second one in Kansas City, there was the, the Tennessee Titan game was a bad game. You know, where they just where it looked to me outclassed. And there was a lot of reasons for that. Guys were hurt. The defense obviously you know, needed reinforcements. But it just looked different than what happened in the collapse uh, of 2020. That collapse, to me, the, the, there were games they should have won, literally should have won. They left the field with the lead late in games, and the defense couldn't make a stop to, to make sure that those ended up as victories rather than the losses that they turned out to be. But I'm not into moral victories. I'm not talking about moral victories, anything. I'm talking about what you see with your eyeball, watching football for as long as you have and sports for as long as you have. There's a difference between getting your hat handed to you and walking off the field knowing we should have won that game right there. We just we didn't make the play that needed to be made, and we lost. But we were right there. That's a whole different world than walking off the field going, we're just not as good as that team. <laughs> that team was just that much better than we were, and that sucks. Right. And, but and, that's and the reality. Last year, and going into last year, they knew they had seven new starters on defense. Right. So I don't know where the expectations were about playoffs or not or how far they could go once they got there. But obviously, you add in COVID, you add in injuries, you add in no preseason where the new players can go ahead and gel or play together. It's just a lot to overcome. And I think that expectation-wise, I didn't agree with all the naysayers that were like five and five wins, six wins, seven wins, and if you were eight and you know eight and eight, 
and they, you know, they made liars out of the ones that guessed four, five, six wins. I thought they were going to go 12 and four at the best <laughs> that they could do. And it was within their reach at one point. It not only it definitely was within their reach. I had them at nine and seven, ten and six on a good day, you know. Um, but as Alec Ingold, when he when he came in on Monday, uh, talked about, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, talked about, you know, and and quoting him, we're three plays away from being eleven and five. And when he said that, he told me that, you know, in the interview that he and I did, and then later on, you know, the next day on the on the radio, he doesn't say that. Um, as pie in the sky, he says it matter of factly, like literally three plays, and he, and you could pick any three plays from any of those three losses. He put it on himself on one of them, you know, with that Kansas City Chiefs game where he didn't come up with the catch, you know, saying like, hey, maybe if, maybe if I make that catch, if we get that first down right there, we could run even more time off the clock uh, in that situation. Now he's playing with two broken ribs, so uh, cut him some slack. But the reality is those three losses, uh, when it got right down to it, came down to plays late in the game that just weren't made. But they weren't like all throughout the game where you're just getting outclassed and out-talented and there's no hope. And the, the other team is just a decidedly different, uh, better team and you have a lot of work to do to fill holes to get to that level. That was not the team that I saw last year. I'm not making any excuses for the losses. Uh, you need to fix that. They need to get that fixed. They need to figure out ways to make plays, whether it's coming up with an interception, a sack, a strip sack that turns the ball over, getting on the ball when it's on the ground rather than letting the other team pick it up uh, and rec- recover their own fumble, making sure that balls don't slip through your hand that should be interceptions that give the offense another down that they you know they, they get a first down from. You got to eliminate those things. You have to make the play when the play is there, but they're but the fact that we're even talking about the Raiders as being plays, like a handful of plays, if that, away from being the playoffs, is progress. And if you can, I've seen it too many times where a team that didn't make those plays last year starts making the plays the next year, and it's a whole different narrative. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Keep the calls coming. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. You look back at it and you go, in a COVID year, should you be picking guys that perhaps are a projection from one position to another? You know, we took the kid from Kentucky in the third round and ended up trading him to Miami before the season started. That was a projection. He was a college slot receiver and a quarterback, and we tried to move him to running back in a pandemic year. And to be honest with you, I don't think it was fair to the kid. You know, we don't even see him face-to-face live until training camp in July. Um, you take Amik Robertson in the fourth round. He was an outside corner. And even though it doesn't sound like a big change to go to nickel, in a COVID year with no reps, trying to learn run fits in the corner or the nickel position that he never had to do before, that's asking a lot. So basically what I'm saying is that I think in a COVID year, you've got to be nimble. And you've got to learn lessons, and you got to you got to try to leverage the draft for whatever you can. That is Raiders general manager Mike Mayock uh, talking yesterday from the uh, Raiders practice facility in Henderson. Uh, by the way, uh, that's exactly where I'm broadcasting today uh, from this beautiful uh, new facility in West Henderson, uh, Nevada. And you know, um, Mike Mayock was talking about 
drafting, conducting a draft, assessing a draft, building a draft board, uh, creating a consensus on your on your draft um, analysis um, as you go about you know, trying to stack all these players that are that are uh, about ready to get drafted uh, into the NFL or sign as undrafted free agents. It's a difficult process um, in itself, in and of itself, in a normal year. And by the way, you're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Wednesday. Thursday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. In a normal year, uh, it's an inexact science. Uh, all you're trying to do, um, the best that you can possibly do, um, is just scour as and, and 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 generate as much data, as much information, as much intelligence uh, on on these draft prospects as you possibly can. Uh, it's a painstaking, exhausting uh, pr- uh, process that involves uh, a number of people, an army of people, really. Uh, you know, in terms of your scouting staff, your college scouts, your your coaching staff eventually gets looped in. Your general manager, uh, his staff, um, and and throughout the course of a year, they're out there um, creating a profile on everybody that they are considering as a draft pick. And part of that is also just kicking some players to the curb, like you're not on our draft board. Whether it's a um, situation. Character issue, injury issue, whatever the case might be, that just says that teams just say we're not drafting you under any circumstances, any circumstance. We probably wouldn't even sign you as an unrestricted free, un, uh, undrafted free agent. That's how uh, badly we want to avoid you. But anyway, in a normal year, uh, between getting out to college campuses during the fall, uh, getting out to practices—that's such an important part of the evaluation process. Uh, talking to coaches, talking to players, talking to staff members of whatever program uh, you, you're at on that on any given day, uh, talking to people that work the weight room or the football office or the SID's office, um, you know, trying to get as much information as you possibly can, not just on the football player, but the person uh, you're about ready to invest a lot of money and faith and confidence in to bring you in as a draft pick, as a coveted draft pick. You only get uh, seven minimum, or you only get seven, you know, uh, you could trade, you could add, uh, picks and, and whatnot, but there's seven rounds. And so you got to maximize those seven rounds, uh, to the best of your ability by drafting the best possible players that you can based on the information that you have generated and assessed and calculated and put together and profiled on all these players that you're about ready to draft in a normal year. That's a difficult process in a season like last year. And I haven't even gotten into the, the then taking that player that you drafted and developing them and getting that process started ASAP as quickly as you can in order to put them in line to be a productive player for you as quickly as possible. It's difficult. And there aren't, you know, you look at the, the history of, of rookies playing in the NFL, the numbers are way lower than you probably think in terms of cons- getting players on the field in a productive and meaningful way from in their first year, let alone the first day of their first year. All right, that's a difficult process. And it's, it's the, the great teams, the great organizations are able to come up with as many good players um, in that process to help them on any given, in any given year. So you look back at what happened last year with this Raiders draft. On the surface, it looks like a disappointment. I mean, the, the, like, the jury's still out on Trent Brown. The jury's still out on this draft class. 
but I've been saying for a while now uh, that that this was it was such an unusual year that whether you're talking about miscalculations, mistakes, or stunted growth, um, it was almost all of that was inevitable based on everything that happened last year, and will continue this year too because. Uh, if anything, this draft is more impacted than the last draft was, and I'll explain why here in a second. But going back to the last, the last draft, you know, when you when he, Mike Mack talked about Lynn Bowden Jr., uh, the the quarterback slash slot wide receiver from Kentucky, who the Raiders drafted in the third round with an eye on moving him to running back. Now, in a normal year, based on everything that I just said. That's going to be difficult for Lynn Bowden Jr. to get it in a meaningful way his first year. But you throw in the fact that after you drafted him, you know, weren't able to really meet with him necessarily, talk to him, you know, other than maybe on Zoom, or if you ran into him at the scouting combine there last year. There's no scouting combine this year, so let's keep that in mind as we move forward. Um, to, to really you, – you weren't getting a full profile on these guys last year. You just weren't because of what COVID-19 uh, did to the whole operation. And then on top of that, you didn't have a normal OTA or OTAs, an offseason. There were no rookie mini camps. Um, you, didn't, you weren't able to get players into your building to keep an eye on um, and, and, and get a head start uh, like you normally do on – making that transition from college to the NFL. You just didn't have any of that. So when you add in the fact that a couple of those players, and I wrote about this today, uh, Lynn Bowden Jr., Tanner Muse going from uh, safety in Cle- at Clemson to linebacker in the NFL, and then Amik Robertson, as Mike Mayock talked about, uh, going from outside cornerback to slot cornerback, it's going to be difficult. That's going to be really hard, almost impossible. Um, and and here's the thing, and we're going to get back into this uh, when we come back off the break. Obviously, Lynn Bowden Jr. was traded. He's no longer part of the equation. But guys like Tanner Muse and Amik Robertson, don't be so hasty to write them off as busts or you just forget about them. In a lot of ways, guys like Tanner Muse and Amik Robertson are going to supplement your draft in 2021 because... Those guys are working hard right now. Tanner Muse is getting healthy right now. By all indications, uh, he's going to be fine and good to go. Uh, in, 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 you know, hopefully when when OTAs start up, if they start up, Amik Robertson now has a year under his belt, making that transition from uh, outside safety to slot cornerback. Don't be so hasty to write those guys off. Was it a mistake to draft them? I don't necessarily think it was a mistake to draft them. I think it was a mistake or a miscalculation that you were going to get anything out of them, given the circumstances that were going on. It was going to be difficult enough as it was for Amik to make that switch. But without an offseason uh, last year, it just doubled the, uh, uh, the difficulty level. Same with Tanner Muse, although with Tanner, uh, an injury also uh, didn't help. But these guys now have a year under their belt. They're still the same guy uh, that the Raiders drafted uh, in, in 2020. They still have talent. They can still play. Now let's see if they've made that transition um, or, or are in a better position to make that transition with a you know, a year under their belt and then hopefully a regular offseason uh, to supplement it. So don't be so quick to rule out those guys. Amik Robertson can play football. You see it on tape uh, at Louisiana Tech. That dude is a baller. 
uh, sticks his head, his nose in there, is tough, makes plays, defends tall wide receivers, small wide receivers, but he was doing on the outside at Louisiana Tech. Now let's see if he could do it on the inside. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur.